Uh, well, a while ago, I was uh, meeting with a woman kind of for some counseling or, or whatnot uh, because her anxiety was kind of uh, causing problems in all of her relationships, in her marriage, with her kids, uh, you know, her friendships and all that stuff. And we were kind of like, I was trying to ask questions like kind of what, you know, how does she see, you know, what her issues are? And it, it finally came out. She's like, oh, anxiety is just my thing. Like I have always struggled with it and I always will. And I... And that moment, for whatever reason, that like hit me really hard. I was like so saddened by that statement from this person who uh, has claimed to be a Christian like her whole life. Uh, I was kind of speechless. Um, is that really the reality for Christians? Like, oh, I'll just be anxious for my entire life. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Uh, that we'll just have these things. We'll have lust or anxiety or anger outbursts, uh, in, you know, in our lives for forever. And I was also saddened because her comment kind of uh, sent me back in time to my story and kind of the, the Christian culture that I grew up in uh, as a kid because that was kind of the reality. Like, God's good and I'm bad and I just kind of like feel bad about myself and kind of hope that the work gets completed somehow, someday. Uh, I struggled with pornography early on and knew it was wrong and I just did all this goofy religious stuff to try to kick the habit or guilt myself out of it or, you know, all, all these different things and, and nothing really worked. And I go into all that because today we're kicking off a new fall series on how to become like Jesus, where I want us to really look at the, the nuts and bolts from Scripture on how we actually transform, like how we actually in our real day-to-day -day lives become more like Jesus and set free from the things that we hate in ourselves, from the anxiety and the fear and the lust and the anger and all that stuff. All spring and summer we looked at what Jesus invited people to do, uh, which is to follow him. Like he issued the call with authority as the king of the universe to, hey, follow me. We looked at, we hit it ad nauseum. Jesus can't be your savior unless he's also your Lord, unless he also is your king, unless he also has the say on how you live your life. And so this fall, so if that's the what, this fall I want to unpack the how. Like how do we actually do that? How do we follow Jesus? How do we become more like him because I think one of the greatest weaknesses of the church in our day and age uh, is that we talk about growth or we talk about sanctification but we don't really have a plan or an understanding on like how we get there biblically like how do we actually do that we talk about the why why do we become like Jesus for God's glory uh, and our holiness and our joy we read about that in the, the liturgy we talk about uh, what it means to become like Jesus which is that uh, you know we sin less we we, we move into holiness and we start to live and feel and act and believe the way Jesus did when he was walking on the earth. But personally, and maybe if you've had experience, I'd love to hear this. I've never been a part of a church that uh, really went into the how we become like Jesus, how we are transformed. But the good news is, is that there's a clear way that God has laid out for us to become like Jesus. We don't have to just, you know, slog through life and kind of slap you know, God will complete the work he began, you know, while we just struggle with these things that, that kill our joy and keep us up at night. We don't just stumble along, you know, falling off and on the wagon uh, of sexual purity or keeping our temper under control or, or whatever. I think scripture makes it clear that we can become like Jesus as we uh, and progress to become like him. Uh, it actually changes our character. Like, I'm not saying we can become perfect and, like, never sin this side of heaven. Uh, I'm saying that, like, real like observable, experiential, like change in, into Christ-likeness is available to us. And it can transform us to not wear like 
we uh, can white knuckle it enough to like not look at pornography or we can like like grit our teeth and think of 10 happy things to not lose our temper or something like that. But we actually become types of people for whom it's more natural to trust God than it is to be anxious. It's more natural to love our enemies than it is to despise them. It's more, it's more appealing to pursue sexual purity than it, than it is to lust after people we see. And we become types of people to where uh, living the way of Jesus is like, is like second nature. I'm super curious how, we're not going to do like a, you know, raise your hand time, but I'm super curious how this hits you, you know? Do you feel the, the cynicism rising up? Do you feel like the years of like not experiencing this kind of kind of causing, causing this cloud in your mind? So you feel the shoulds and oughts, you know, of like, the, is this going to be a bunch of shoulds and oughts that are going to burden me? And um, Well, I just invite you to stick, stick with me this fall as we unpack a bunch of scripture and, uh, and consider it. Uh, and my prayer and my hope is that this is good news, like that this is the, the sound of rest for your souls, like Jesus calls us to in Matthew 11. If you look in your bulletin, uh, there's some bonus material uh, right after the sermon notes. Uh, that's, that's content uh, that will be in your bulletin every week this fall as we kind of hit these different ideas and, and doctrines, uh, theologies from, uh, from different passages all over, all over Scripture. Uh, but to begin, uh, look with me at that chart on the top of the page. That's going to be kind of like our framework for the sermon series this fall. Uh, it's, a, it's a map of how we become like Jesus, or a, you could call it like a, a ingredient list if you were making, uh, making a recipe. Uh, all these different components they are how real life transformation happens like now, like this week uh, and this month and this year. You know, it's not just like wait till heaven uh, when, when everything will be better. It's a working theory. Uh, the, these, these elements, this, the triangle chart uh, that's pulled from the breadth of scripture and also, you know, millions of Christians or brothers and sisters who have uh, sought to follow Jesus throughout church history over the last couple millennia. So we're going to unpack transformation throughout all of scripture. We'll spend weeks in each part of, uh, of this map and, uh, and kind of press into what, what that looks like. But I just want to do a brief in- intro today. Uh, at the top, you see teaching. This means, uh, first and foremost, the Bible. Uh, that's kind of the, you know, the ground zero. You know, it's like how we know who God is and what he's like and what he calls us to do and to be. Uh, but then you know, it also plays out more broadly into you know, Bible studies or sermons or podcasts or seminary classes or you know, re- spiritual reading of books about following Jesus. Uh, anything that kind of involves uh, information, kind of getting information about the Bible and the way of Jesus into our brain box. Uh, the next thing uh, in our transformation map on the bottom left is practices. This probably, uh, if I had to guess, would be the most like new or kind of foreign concept to us. But the practices, uh, suffice it to say, we'll spend a lot of time talking about them, are spiritual disciplines or habits or rhythms of our lives, things that we do like with our bodies and our day-to-day life that kind of enable the teaching and the Holy Spirit and community to do, to do their work, to do the other to the other elements to do the work of transforming us. And so some real, some of the core, there's, there's not really like a definitive list of like what are the practices or what are uh, uh, the, the spiritual disciplines, but there are kind of like a core few of them. There's silence and solitude, scripture meditation, fasting, practicing the Sabbath, uh, doing life in community, confession. <laughs> These different things are like practices that we can actually do like with our mouths and our bodies and, and our arms and our legs and our eyes and all that stuff. 
Jesus uh, kind of ties these first two elements together at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, uh, whoever hears my word, hears my teaching, and puts it into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And then on the bottom right, there's community. Uh, we, you can't become like Jesus alone, period. Like it just is such a relational uh, reality that we're living in according to our triune uh, triune creator God. Uh, you literally never see Jesus one-on-one -on -one with one of his disciples. Uh, Jesus says that where you know two or more are gathered, he's there, and it's, it's because the community of Jesus, like Jesus' followers, are his body, is, are his body here on earth. The church, the local church, is the body of Christ, and so uh, if we want the, the presence of God, uh, that we need to gather with his people, and we practice the one another commands, like very few Things are as transforming as actually trying to follow the 59 uh, one another's in scripture. Uh, you know, just like if we sin against each other, then we rehearse the gospel. You know, we forgive each other and we receive forgiveness and uh, we work together and we serve together and we rest together, all these different things. And then right in the middle, holding the whole thing together is the Holy Spirit. Apart from him, the other three are pretty much pointless. And in many ways, the, the other three things the, around the triangle are really just ways to kind of make ourselves available for him to do uh, the, the, the transforming work, to be submitted to the Spirit and changed by him. You can kind of think of it like uh, a sailboat, like the things on the outside of the triangle or like the boat and the sails and all the rigging and all that stuff. And so you could have an incredible, incredible sailboat and put it out into Lake Michigan, get the sails up and everything and have all the books and all the, you know, everything. Uh, but if there's no wind, then you won't go anywhere. And so there's, there's this uh, dependency and this humility that we, as we pursue transformation, we know that ultimately is it, a gift, it is a gift, it is a grace, something that we wait on the Lord for. So now uh, for our uh, sermon text, we're just going to walk through and see all these different elements uh, play out in just one, uh, one little passage uh, from Ephesians 5. Uh, we'll see how teaching community and the Holy Spirit are described here, and then the practices for like how we actually like grab these resources, these elements uh, by the hand um, and, and obey Paul and what he is, what he's saying here. So uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Uh, this is page 1823 in the Pew Bible if you want to follow along there. Uh, while you're turning there, just to give us some context for our sermon text, Ephesians is just such a, a sweet, clean-cut book because Paul is pretty much cut in, in two halves. Like the first half, chapters 1 through 3, is all this doctrine, this glorious truth of like what has happened in Christ and the realities of the gospel and our adoption and the forgiveness of sins and the unity that can be had uh, in, in Jesus' uh, people and all these different things. Uh, and then he prays. He ends that passage with, uh, in, in the end of chapter 3, praying this inc incredible like doxology prayer uh, that will know the height, width, depth, breadth, and length of God's love. And then 4, 5, and 6, the chapters... After that, are all about what we do in light of that, in light of that gospel. So that's our context. Uh, jump in, at chapter five, verse fifteen. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul tells us to be careful how we live. Why would he do that? Well, probably because he knows himself and he knows other people. Like humans, we just are always kind of slipping in our fallen state. We're, we're slipping into apathy or we're slipping into frantic busyness or we slip into isolation. 
uh, you know, life is hard and the world is distracting. And I think Paul's words here are just so rich, so fascinating, because he says, uh, don't live as unwise. And that word there, other translations uh, use simpleton. Like, don't be simple. <laughs> uh, don't live as simpletons. In the book of Proverbs, which is kind of like the pinnacle of wisdom literature in our Holy Scriptures has three categories all throughout the book. There's the wise person, uh, there's the simpleton, or the naive, the naive person, and then there's the scoffer. And what we see about simpletons in Proverbs, and I think what Paul is getting at here with the word he uses, is this idea of just kind of mindlessly, cluelessly drifting through life, not really evaluating what you do or why you do it, not considering what your habits are doing or what practices you fill your days with, or, you know, the, just like the, the sins of omission. You know, I'm not like really like, you know, flipping Jesus the bird and saying, I'm going to disobey you. I'm just never going to read what you say. So then, you know, so then I can kind of like just not feel like I'm overtly disobeying Jesus. And then he brings it down into our daily lives. When he says, make the most of every opportunity, uh, don't, don't hear, you have to say yes to everything all the time. Because uh, that would be that would be stressful. What he's getting at here is your time. Like, make the most of your time. Like, every minute, every day is an opportunity that's been given to you. And and he says the days are evil because he kind of gets at that just like scary tendency where you just kind of like, you know, wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, my kid is driving. Like, oh, where you know, where did this go? Where did the time go? Or you just wake up and you've been married 40 years and you don't even know your spouse at all. Or you wake up and it's time to retire and you you wonder what what did you really do in in your career here's scripture saying christian jesus follower don't be a simpleton floating through life hopping from one thing to another fill your time with the things that really matter paul is calling the children of god away from just kind of naivety or simplicity uh, of just floating through life but instead invites to be invites us to think and pray and wrestle with things and uh, bring things to our community and study the Bible and read books and ask questions and just like take life seriously. This shows us the teaching aspect of, of the triangle. You will not become like Jesus if you just do or believe whatever sounds good to you or whatever you passively drink in from your culture, whatever Fox News says or whatever the memes on your Facebook feed say. Like that, That's being simple. That's just kind of like floating by whatever whatever happens if we're not evaluating it according to Scripture and Psalm 19, 7 and 8, uh, it's just a beautiful passage. We read it earlier. Let me read it again over you. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Do you see Paul riffing on the Old Testament here? This isn't some like newfangled idea, like the path to wisdom uh, it's not just a hope to be wise, uh, but there's a clear path, and it's the word of God. Scripture is saying that being wise or being simple, it's not like having brown hair or blonde hair. Like, you're just born with it. Oh, I was just born a simpleton. I'm just born, uh, you know, salt of the earth kind of guy, uh, which is just a terrible use of that expression. Like, salt of the earth means something very different than just, like, I drive a truck and don't think or whatever. No, there's a path to wisdom, and it's the perfect word of God made alive by the Holy Spirit. Or in the words of Jesus, as he says, whoever hears my teaching and puts it into practice is, is a wise man. There's, there's teaching and practice involved in being wise. Like, it, being wise isn't like being a guru on top of a mountain, you know, 
asking questions like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around, does it make any noise? Like, that's, that's not wisdom. That's like goofiness. You know, wi wisdom, according to Scripture, is immensely practical in daily life uh, with our families, with our work, uh, with all of our relationships. There's information. There is content. Uh, but then there's a practical outworking of it. And look at verse 17. We kind of get a further definition of wisdom. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, will, what the Lord's will is. So we kind of have this contrast between being foolish and understanding what the Lord's will is. The good news uh, is that I don't think God's will is, is quite as elusive as we might think. I feel like for a long time I'd read verses like this and like, if God sent me an email, I would do it. You, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, well, yeah, that's great. I, I don't want to be foolish. I want to do the Lord's will, but what does that mean? Um, and I think if we connect it with teaching, uh, we see that the Lord's will is not really that, that, that confusing. I think it's really more of a question of like, will we really do it? Like if we face it, if we stare at him in the eye, will we really do it if we know it? And so for the sake of our discussion, let's just break down the will of God into two categories. Uh, you have the general will and the specific will. God's general will is super easy to see in Scripture. Like, we just don't have to look in Scripture far to see that it's to become like Jesus. Like, he has predestined us to be conformed into the image of his Son. Uh, in lots of other places it says that. Uh, we grow to be more fully and truly the people God made us to be when we become like Jesus. That's the general will for all of us. Like, you don't have to wrestle with, like, mm, does God want me to become like Jesus? Yes, he does. The second category is God's specific will for your life. Like, who do you marry? Where do you live? What job do you take? All these different things. Uh, and, you know, and Scripture doesn't say that, to, you know, typically. There are people who read it like that. I talked to a guy who was working with me at the hospital called Mount Carmel, and he was there because he was reading about the guy in the Old Testament going up Mount Carmel. And so he's like, oh, i got to go work at Mount Carmel. He was the valet parker. So I, don't, I hope it worked out for him. But that's not what, that's not what Scripture is talking about. How do we find God's... Uh, specific wills for a life to not be foolish. I believe the best starting point to answer these specific wills for our life is to apply God's general will to specific choices that we face by asking the question, will this help me become more like Jesus? Practically, this means being wise and careful, like thinking through decisions, thinking about if, uh, what, what is influencing our hearts. Like, what, what am I really desiring here? What's motivating me? Asking our community, like, hey, what do you think about this opportunity? I've, like, talked to so many people who make decisions within their little, like, you know, insular nuclear family, and it's just, like, not in line with God's general will. Like, it's just like, what? how did you come to that, that conclusion? It, just like a, like a simple example would be, imagine, you know, you're faced with a new job. Uh, that pays more. So do we just like point blank, like, well, that's the blessing of the Lord, so I, gotta, I should take it because I like money. Or I could use it more for God's kingdom. I could use more money for God's kingdom. I hear that one a lot. Well, for one, it's not bad to take a promotion or be rewarded for your hard labor or anything like that and make more money. But we can just like work through the question. We can work through the question. Will this new job help me become more like Jesus? And think through the, the like daily practices. Will it give me more space to be in the word and make it easier to spend time with Jesus personally? Will it allow me to have the space to take care of the relationships that God has put on, on my plate with, uh, with my marriage or my kids or whatever? Will it allow, allow me to participate robustly in, in the life of my, my local church? Being known by people 
uh, serving people, using my gifts for the building up of the body. Like if you can kind of think through those things, I think God's specific will becomes super quick, like, or not super quick, uh, a lot clearer uh, of, a, of an issue. It doesn't have to be quite of a mystery. But even asking these questions will be very transforming because you'll, even if it becomes clear, you're like, but money, but that boat I want. You know, like you, you kind of come up against like, oh, it does seem clear, but I still don't want to do it. And that's how we get to know ourselves more and we repent and lean on our community and all that stuff. I, I just wonder how much of the slowness or stagnation that we might experience in our, our path or to become like Jesus is just from being simpletons. So just kind of like floating through life kind of unreflectively and um, not, not continuing to press in and to learn and to grow and look at ourselves honestly. So we already see that we need to be careful how we live to let the teaching of God's word make us wise. So what, what practices, like at the bottom left of our triangle, what practices would make us wise? What daily rhythms? Well, the first and most obvious one is deep scripture meditation. Most of the old men that I know who are retired pastors or whatever, this is like all they talk about is like deeply, quietly getting the word of God into all of us, like just all deep up in there, like marinating in it, just soaking in it, reading small passages slowly, asking questions, let, letting scripture by the power of the spirit pierce us. Like it, the Bible says that's what the spirit does. Is that It's like a two-edged sword that can pierce bone and marrow. And then another practice would be reading broadly of scripture. Like what if on your day off you just read a book out loud with your spouse or a friend or something, an entire book of the Bible or something like that. Uh, or, you, you know, like what we did this past summer, you read the entire New Testament quickly in, in, in one summer. Um, you know, you kind of have like kind of two sides there, two ways of imbibing scripture. One goes deep, the other kind of goes broad, and both are important. And then, you know, we have teaching in our Sunday gathering. Uh, there are all kinds of podcasts available to you. There's all kinds of books available to you about spiritual reading of becoming like Jesus and and so there's just some obvious passages like how do we become wise like how do we put it into practice and all that's fueled by the spirit who inspired the holy scriptures next look at verse 18 do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit so Paul says it explicitly in this fascinating little parable that we need to be filled with the spirit he says don't be drunk on wine but be filled with the Spirit. And I know we as Baptists, we have a very confusing relationship with alcohol. Um, suffice it to say, uh, alcohol is not a sin. Drinking it is not a sin. But being drunk is. Okay. That's, that's kind of the framework. There might be some nuances there. But Paul is not primarily talking about wine here. He's not, this is not a drinking passage. He's, he's drawing, uh, he's drawing a, a, a parable. He's drawing an analogy. That, and this is so fascinating. I like think about this probably way too much. But... The, the same way that the, he's drawing parallels between how you give yourself over to the influence or the power of alcohol. And he's comparing it to the same way that you would give yourself over to the influence and power of the spirit. Think about how when someone imbibes a lot of alcohol, of adult beverages, they're different. Like temporarily, they are transformed into a different kind of person who's less of an introvert 
or more likely to jump off, you know, a waterfall or, you know, whatever. The people, you know, they hold my beer, watch this. Like, they're, you know, they, they're transformed into a different person because they're given over to something. And, and the crazy thing is that this, like, connection between alcohol and the spirit is, like, not just here. Uh, when the Holy Spirit first comes in the early church in Acts 2, they're all waiting for it according to Jesus' instructions, like, wait for the helper. The helper comes. All these people burst out of the room they're hiding in and start preaching all over the city. And everybody looks at them and they say, like, oh, they're just drunk. And so, like, before Peter can stand up and preach the gospel, he's got to say, like, no, 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 no. Like, we're not drunk. And Peter himself is a great example of this idea of being filled or being transformed by the presence of the Spirit. Because before he has the Spirit, he's, like, kind of meebly following behind Jesus on his path to the cross. And this little servant girl is like, hey, you know, weren't you, weren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he you know, denies him and swears and all this stuff and does it two more times. But then after the Spirit comes, what happens? Well, he's like preaching to this huge mob in Jerusalem, and he says, he says a bunch of things, but he gets in their face, and he's like, every one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he goes from like being ashamed, of, he wasn't like being interrogated, it was just like a servant girl like casually making conversation, <laughs> and, he, and he's denying it. Now he's like telling a whole mob to repent and be baptized. Peter goes from being a total wimp to having incredible courage and boldness. Like, what's one of the, you know, street names for alcohol? Like, liquid courage. Drunk people have a boldness about them. It can transform us, at least temporarily, into the type of person who doesn't fear talking to strangers or doesn't fear doing something generous with our money. And so we're called to, instead of uh, letting alcohol dull our senses. We're, we're called to be filled with the Spirit, letting it heighten our senses on, on God's reality. Now, a couple of things. I know this is uncomfortable for us Baptists a little bit, uh, but a couple of things about the Spirit. Uh, one, you know, we get the Spirit when we're saved. Like, when we are regenerated, uh, Jesus says in John 3, like, we're born again of the Spirit. Uh, we, we get the Holy Spirit. So it's not like there's like people who are Christians but don't have the Holy Spirit and then like a varsity level that do you know gets like a second baptism or you know whatever uh, whatever thing like that like you have the spirit when you become a Christian <clears throat> but because the spirit is a person we that with whom we can have a relationship with how we live varies the the, the degree to to which we experience his presence and his power and the, and the intimacy which is you know, just like, like wedding, like there can be the fact of the marriage, the legal marriage, but, you know, the intimacy or encouragement or whatever that I have from my relationship with Camille comes from how we live, you know, like how, like how much we talk and work together and rest and listen and all that stuff. And there's a part we play in being filled with the Spirit. The wording here is really brilliant. Because if you want to get uh, nerdy with me for a hot second, it's a passive imperative, which like only in the Bible would that ever, ever make sense. Maybe there's a, another situation, but it's passive because it's not something that we can do. He doesn't say, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, we are, be filled, like receive filling. But then it's also an imperative, which means it's a command. He says, go be filled. He doesn't say hope to be filled or wait to be filled. Uh, it's something that we actively do. And I think an example to unpack this would be like if the Bible said, you all have buckets, let your bucket be filled with rainwater. Like what can we do to fill our buckets with rainwater? Like nothing. We can't, we can't, well, we can't really make it rain, but we can 
pay attention to the forecast. Make sure that we're free to go outside and hold our bucket you know, to the sky when we know it's going to rain. We can make sure that the, our bucket isn't full of something else to which we keep the rainwater out of it. So we can, just like that with the Holy Spirit, we can't fill ourselves, but we have a part to play to be able to receive this filling of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't command it, command it to us. The scripture wouldn't command us to be filled. And I think the practice uh, that most clearly uh, helps us uh, helps us do this is the, the spiritual discipline of simple living. A simple, unhurried living that allows us to focus and listen. I think distraction is one of the main things that keep, keeps us from being filled with the Spirit. It's like our bucket is like too full of other stuff. There's an article recently that talked about how like statistically and culturally our need for stimulation is just like going through the roof. Like things that used to be really exciting and stimulating now just don't cut it anymore. Like watching a movie, I mean that used to be just like escapism heaven. But now like what do you do when you're watching a movie? Like you're you're on your phone. <laughs> like you need to, you need to like double double wield like a movie and a phone. Maybe you're not like that, but I think a lot of us are. <laughs> yeah, hold on tight. Here's, a, here's something for you to chew on. Focus is worship. Attention is the beginning of devotion, a poet said. We cannot worship without paying close attention through sustained focus. And when we are going to, if we're going to worship in spirit and truth, like Jesus says in John 4, then we need to be able to like actually hear that spirit. We need to be actually to receive his influence. When we're frazzled and over busy, when our lives are so full that we're just like putting out fires and crashing, and then our buckets are essentially unable to receive the rain of the Holy Spirit. It's like we're asleep inside instead of out filling our buckets, or our buckets are so full of coffee because we're so tired from all our busyness, we can't get that Holy Spirit rain. Simple living uh, is a practice that uh, we see Jesus doing. We see him commanding his disciples to do when they get sent out, and we see it all throughout Christian history. It's like really only just recently where it's like, you know, being a Christian means you, you know, own a house and two cars and, you know, whatever, like a shed full of power tools or whatever. So it has two, two elements here. There's material possessions, like simple living and like owning less. But just like a fact of life is that at some point the things we own start owning us. And then also in, time, in terms of our time, like making, making the most of the days because they're evil. Uh, we, in our calendars, we've got to create space to obey scripture by saying no to things. So this practice, practices of simple living might look like set times where you turn your phone off. Or like limits on how many hours the TV you, you watch every day. The truth is we're probably all... Uh, pretty close to addicted to our phones to, to some degree. And maybe you're not, and cheers, that's great if you're not, but I would, I would just challenge you, turn it off for 24 hours and just see, see what happens in, in, in your heart. And don't come up to me afterwards saying, like, well, I can't do it because I'm on call and i got to do this and that. Like, whenever I talk about this, people always like, have to make their case on why they're too important to turn their phones off. But you know, phones have only been around for about 12 years. Like Before that, people didn't, 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 do, didn't have their phone, didn't have that appendage. I think our overstimulated, overscheduled, distracted lives, fill, it fills up the buckets to our, of our lives to where there's no room for the spirit to do, do his work. 
Lastly, uh, we see community in this passage. Look at verse 19. Speak to one another with hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the God, to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we are filled with the Spirit, uh, if we if imagine a community of people who's like really zealously, like intensely trying to like create space with their in their sheds and in their calendars to be filled with the Spirit, uh, it seems like the command is to be like drunk Irishmen in a bar that just like burst out in the song, or like hobbits, you know? Or they just like always like. They're, they're having an ale and busting out into song because they're happy. The joy of being filled overflows to our brothers and sisters in our church family. The spirit inside of us always draws us together, uh, and together we can praise God. I mean, the, an element is like here in our Sunday gathering where we literally sing songs uh, together, uh, but not just in formal worship gatherings. Like, we can revel together about the goodness of God. Like, you know you can talk about God with your brothers and sisters even when it's not, like, official church function, like, <laughs> That, that's allowed. That's okay. Uh, you have permission to do that. Like when we're filled with the Spirit, like we can't not celebrate what God is doing. We can't not share the goodness of what God is is doing. It's kind of like you know being a vegan or doing CrossFit or something. Like those people are annoying because they can't not share about this thing that is bringing about transformation in their life. Community is a little bit is both a means of transportation and it's also a practice like there are practices that would fall in the category of community um, to go straight for the jugular in terms of community practices look at Ephesians 4 verse 32 which your Bibles are open it should be just on the other page or one over this is one of the one another commands it says be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you so when we come together uh, in community filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Scripture is being very gracious to us and saying like, hey, there's going to be problems. You're going to have to forgive each other. You're going to have to be compassionate for people in, in their struggle. And the longer that I'm a Christian, the more I see that like forgiveness, forgiving one another, that is varsity level. Like that is varsity level following Jesus. It only happens when, A, we're together enough, we stick together even when we hurt each other, and we're, we're we're together enough to let the ugly show, to like share enough to where, you know, we're not always on all the time, but we're just like literally just with people as we are. Because nothing will grow us in Christlikeness, nothing will grow us more in like really experiencing transformation in the gospel, like having to forgive someone who's hurt you and then worship with them Sunday after Sunday. Nothing's going to make you take grace, take your cup of grace more seriously than when you have to say, I wronged you, will you forgive me? And receive grace, receive forgiveness from a, like a real flesh and blood person in front of you. Not, not explaining it away, not justifying it, not blaming someone else, like I wronged you, will you forgive me? Full stop. That's hard. That's super hard. So the practice is here, like this is a spiritual discipline, participating in a Sunday worship gathering. That's a spiritual discipline, so great job, guys. And then we, we gather on Tuesdays uh, where we read scripture and we share our lives and we practice some of those one another's because there's a little bit more uh, potential for interaction and we wrestle with being wise and living carefully together. And then hopefully, as God knits us together in love, 
We'll spend more and more time together throughout the week so that we can speak to one another as we're filled with the Spirit. And I know this can be uh, overwhelming, uh, so let me just try to frame this uh, around how Jesus frames it. Seems like a good way to end. Jesus, the person that we're trying to become, said this to, to, uh, to the crowds. And I'd invite you to just uh, close your eyes and imagine your, your resurrected Savior saying this to you. Imagine the, the perfect God-man seeing all your ugly, your sin, your foolishness, your frazzledness, and saying this to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus sees us in our weariness, our toil, and he says, come to me, take my yoke upon you. And that might seem weird, and we'll unpack this passage in a, in a future week, because it's like, I don't need a yoke. That's a work instrument. I need a mattress. I need a pillow for, like, babysitters. I'm going to take a nap or something. But this is the secret uh, to what Jesus is talking about. The secret of the easy yoke is the lifestyle of Jesus. One of the framing ideas uh, around this series this fall is that you cannot have the life of Jesus, the hope, the joy, the peace, the patience, the, all the fruit of the Spirit, all the, the fruit in your life without having the lifestyle of Jesus. Because if you're hearing all this stuff that we're talking about, an idea of practice, and you're like, I got to cram that into my calendar, then this is going to sound terrible. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not good news. The worst way to try to become like Jesus is to live like the way the whole world does and then just, like, cram on Jesus' way of life, like, on top of it, you know, like, on top of, like, Little League five nights a week or, you know, whatever. Like, Jesus is calling to put down our burdens, put, put down the things that we do to try to prove our significance. Like, you, you are already significant in Christ. You don't have to carry the burden of, like, working so much or... Making our, you, you're already safe in me, Jesus says, so you don't have to like buy all this stuff and have insurance policies on your insurance policies or, or whatever. And you can say no to other people. You don't have to say yes all the time to get their approval because I already approve, God approves of you in Christ. In his work on the cross, we see that we are significant, that we're safe, and that we're approved. And so we can put down the burdens, the toil of trying to get that stuff by our own effort and receive it. Instead, be Jesus' disciple, follow him in the power of the Spirit, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you please uh, just call us into this rest for our souls that's available to us as we follow him. Father, I'm so curious about what you're doing in us and through us as a church family, and um, I just pray that we would be people that uh, want to take on the lifestyle of Jesus, that want to really become like him. I pray, Father, that you would, uh, just by the power of your spirit, uh, comfort us as we wrestle with the like doing stuff versus being saved by grace. Would you silence our fear? About, uh, the, about being legalists and uh, just draw us into what, what Scripture really does say. I pray, Father, that this picture of experiencing more grace as we put out effort to follow Jesus would, would become more and more clear this fall. Father, would you just unite us into people who are thankful, grateful, joyful, and, and share our gratitude uh, about you with one another. 
In Jesus' name, amen.